up, everybody? It's Lo, your host, and Drew and Brando. Alex can't make it with us, uh, but we've got almost all of the Vols ATB crew. And then, of course, our special guest, Christopher Gabriel. You can find him at CG Program on Twitter. He's been here several times, and it's always an honor to have him back. CG, how are you feeling tonight? Well, uh, first of all, the pleasure is mine. It's always great to be with you guys. I'm sorry that Al couldn't be here. Uh, I'm feeling good. Uh, it's uh, we're getting here in Fresno. Routinely, what the weather folks—I I call them weather terrorists—what um, they'll say <laughs> is, "Well, we're going to be getting into some fall temperatures now. It's going to be in the mid 80s." Like, okay, those are the mid 80s are no fall temperatures for me. But otherwise, uh, I'm good. Been looking forward to joining you guys. Made a couple of notes, and uh, anywhere you want to go, I am ready to go with you. I absolutely love it. Um, obviously, well, you may have thought that we would be sitting at 5-0 and at this point, but I'm sure most of Vol Nation uh, did not feel the same. So let's get everyone's initial recaps on that LSU win, how we, how we thought it went down uh, offensively, defensively. Let's just kind of all go in our first thoughts there. Brando, you got to turn on your mic. That's a very true statement. Okay. Uh, I guess the first touch on the part about, you know, thinking if we'd be 5-0 and or not, I guess everyone kind of thought that this would be year, like year two. We could maybe take care of Florida with their downfall. But then when it came to LSU, like this was probably the first big toss-up game of the year. To go out there and take care of business like we did, 40-7 uh, to seven, or 40-14, to 14, absolutely crazy. From the first play of the game, you know, them muffing the kickoff, us taking advantage, driving down the field, I thought that set the tone. And, like, we didn't let off the gas once in that game. Um, first early touches, the offense clicked, you know, Jabari Small, Jalen Hyatt, Hendon Hooker, all having two touchdowns apiece. Brew McCoy, quiet, 140 receiving yards, running down the field, manning up uh, LSU's defense, making them look tiny. Uh, the offense, you know, it looked like the, probably the best performance I've seen this offense have, not just with tempo, but understanding the game script and taking advantage of the moments they had with. Um, the rushing game came alive. Like, I think we held them to 59 rushing yards, and we had well over 250. That was great to see on an opponent like LSU's defense that all week we talked about was how good their defense was. And to clear out that stadium, clear out Tiger Stadium in the third quarter and just hand it to them, to see our fans go on the road and take over Tiger Stadium, one of the most elite places to play in the country, that was just magical to see. And I'm, I'm happy for all the people that got to make the trip. Yeah, I mean, it's like what I told you guys last week, that the first thing that we had to do to start off, to, if we want to have any shot win this game, was start off fast. And I don't think in any game the rest of the year we'll start off quicker than we did in that first drive, especially after that opening kickoff. And we just never let off the gas at all. I mean, you know, over 500 yards of total of offense. We're now first in the country in averaging total yards per game, averaging almost 560 yards a game of total offense, which is just unbelievable. You know, 40 points again. Just, I mean, the game was completely over after halftime. And to only allow 17 yards and 12 carries on LSU, LSU's running backs and then 55 yards the entire game, so impressive. I mean, like, speaks volumes for that front seven, and especially for Rodney Gardner on the job that he's done within the last year. I mean, from Byron Young and Aaron Beasley as well, a lot of guys on the defensive line and, and linebacker corp had a phenomenal game. I think this was probably the first game. There was a little things that we could have fixed for sure, but I think we can all agree this is probably the most perfect performance since he's had, not just this year, but in a very long time. And like what Brando said, literally to see those pathetic, purple, goofy losers of their walkout Tiger Stadium by the third quarter 
and just seeing us seeing Rocky Top and just blare out 15,000 orange, you know, sea of orange over there. That was unbelievable. I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better performance than that. CG, go ahead and give me yours. I'll, I'll let you go next. I see you chomping yeah. at the bit. Well, I, I think uh, Brando and Drew said a lot of what I was going to say. I, I, for me, and, and you were referencing this at the beginning, I said on Knoxville Radio uh, elsewhere in town back in August that I really thought this team would be 5-0 and going into the Alabama game. The reason I thought that is because I think there's, I think a lot of times we look at a name of a school, in this case LSU, and it's easy to think back to the Joe Burrow team. It's easy to think back some of the really powerhouse teams. That wasn't this team coming into this year. And I just didn't see any way that they were going to beat us. I, I thought that, I mean, I said this a couple months ago, I thought that we would win by a couple of touchdowns. But to this game itself, this was a seize the moment game. You know, see the moment, seize the moment. I've said that on your program before. And I think you both, you know, both Brando and Drew said, you kept, you know, they kept their foot on the gas. I think that was a lesson learned from the Florida game. Because it was 38-21, 7.55 to go in the fourth quarter, and we started seeing run up the middle, run up the middle, run up the middle. Not a whole lot was going on. And I think Josh Heupel, I'm not sure what – I mean, far be it for me to ever question him, but I, I'm going to question what they were doing. I think they were trying to just make sure, okay, we got 17-point lead. We're playing pretty tight. We're looking good. We're feeling good. The crowd's crazy. We're going to be fine. Things happen. And I think this staff showed how smart they are that not only do the players learn from their mistakes, this staff learns from their mistakes. And you guys are all right. They learned and they never took their foot off the gas. That opening muff, how many times have we watched a game where that the other team, whoever it is, against the Vols, they muff up, they muff a punt or they muff the opening kickoff, but the ball goes gently out of bounds, or the ball is recovered by them. But it wasn't. It was recovered by the Vols. We were we were in the end zone about 30 or 40 seconds later, whatever it was. And that, to me, is not an accident. Those things happen to teams that are good. Those things happen to teams that are prepared, that are in position. And what did we see different also in this game? Florida was eating us alive on third and fourth down. They were 0 for 3 on fourth down uh, in this game. So it was a bend. it was a bend defense, but it was a defense also – that Tim Banks is saying, we're going to give away a little dink and dunk here. We're going to be fine. But when it's time to buckle down, we're not going to break. We're going to shut your behinds down. And that's what they did. And, yeah, to the point about taking over Tiger Stadium, I've been there a few times. I've been there with other uh, SEC fan bases. Objectively, I've never seen anything like what happened there. A good friend of mine works for uh, works now for uh, ESPN Baton Rouge. And I, I talked to a couple of folks down there, and they said, been covering games there forever. Never seen anything like that with an opposing fan base, what they did there. So I think I think that where we are at going into this weekend, um, a little bit better, a little bit better. Every week has been a little bit better. Florida, we learned from that. We pounded LSU. We never gave them a chance. And I think we are in perfect position for this game on Saturday. I fully agree, and everyone had excellent points, but I do have a few other thoughts to offer. First of all, about the atmosphere, I decided literally last Thursday night, I was sitting at the radio station, booked my hotel, and was like, screw it, I'm going. And it was absolutely unbelievable, but I have to give the biggest credit of all time to the LSU fans. I mean, they literally picked us up at our hotel, 
drove us into the stadium, took us to their tailgate that we didn't have to pay for, free drinks, free food, and said, meet us at the truck uh, after the game. We met them there. They didn't leave us, and they drove us back, dropped us off to our hotel. Number one, hands down, most incredible people I've met. Um, going on the game, one, we have to give all the credit in the world to the special teams. Last year, special teams, we were making so many plays, and that was what was keeping us in the game. This year, they haven't really done much. So look at how big of an impact they had literally from the opening seconds of the game, recovering that. From the moment that happened, literally everyone went ballistic. It sounded like we were at home because all of the fans went absolutely nuts. That started off the game right. Number two, Brando said he thought that this was one of our best offensive performances, but I have to disagree. We left so much that we that we have not seen because the only reason it looked so good is because our run game was so good. The only reason that our run game was so good was because we do have talented people at backs. I've heard a lot of people saying we need a better running back. We need a better running back. 127 yards, two rushing touchdowns on LSU's supposedly incredible defense is pretty damn good to me. Um, and the other thing is, how much have we seen of Heupel's playbook? I want to bet not much whatsoever. And what an incredible spot to be at going into Bama Week, knowing that we are not even remotely close offensively on even touching the surface of his playbook. Well, I wanted to point that out, too, about the, like, the wrinkles in the playbook now because we saw a lot of unseen things this past week than we've seen all year and even last year under Heupel, and that kind of led to our success on the offense, you know, extending our drives. Tennessee went three for three on fourth down. Um, you know, the fake option pitch to the, the tight end, that was huge. We'd never seen that before. You know, just wrinkles where you'd usually see Hendon, you know, keep it or give it off and to add that extra spot. And then that Jalen Hyatt, you know, touchdown where he ran the slant, he was wide open. Even ESPN knew what he was running. Like, to see, like, you know, I've noticed that we will call a play, we'll go fast. But we've also learned to control our tempo. The team will look over. Sometimes, you know, they'll go super fast. But then there's other times where they'll wait, you know, wait for it to get 15 seconds. Hypo and goalish, you know, they talk in the headset. They literally do it in live time. And the way that, you know, to see that success, you know, three for three on fourth down, that's absolutely crazy. Like, we wouldn't have had that the past years. And then, you know, the touch on special teams, D. Williams making his debut the first time he touches the ball. He almost goes all the way into the end zone, gets stopped by the punter. That's, an, you know, that's a mistake. But to see how electric he was off the rip when, you know, we had Trayvon Flowers back there who muffed one and gave one up against Pitt. Uh, he put in Squirrel White back there. I think we now have a returner guy and D. Williams looked like he has that, you know, unique ability to play return in. So that was cool to see. I'm going, to add one, I'm going to add one thing to what, what Lowe said. I feel like the running game, even though it's been effective, I think it's been vanilla. And I, I agree with you. I think that I don't think that we have seen Josh Heupel scratch the surface of what this team can do. And, and you know, one more thought about the offense, guys. I, I, I just – I watch them and it's like, okay, now they look like a team playing college football in 2022. Because how many years have we watched Tennessee play? There's no speed. There's no speed anywhere. Now we have people chasing us all over the damn field. It's an amazing thing to watch. And this, the, the, the plethora of weapons that, that this offense has shown without Cedric Tillman for the past couple of games, it's going to be amazing if he is able to get back on this field on Saturday. I mean, uh, wow. It's going to be yeah. something to see, I think. 
Well, to touch on that, CG, it's like this is only, you know, Heupel's first year of talent by itself, and most of those guys on the offensive side haven't even touched the field yet. You're seeing Squirrel White just now get started. So to see what he's done, you know, with what he took in is absolutely crazy in itself. Um, you know, to touch on Cedric Tillman, WBIR, they reported earlier that it's not likely to see him in this game. Like the more realistic thing now is for Kentucky, he might miss next week against UT Martin as well. I don't hate the idea with, you know, him being a top 30 round mock draft pick in the NFL draft next year. I want him to be 100%, you know, later in the slate against Georgia too. But, you know, Hypo also said this week in the press conference, we did this surgery for him to be available this game. So if he's, you know, 80 to 100%, I think, you know, Cedric Tillman might go out there and play despite the reports from tonight. I think even then, though, like, it's kind of like what I was telling you guys earlier today, like in the chat, like, even with him gone, this offense still hasn't skipped a beat at all. I mean, we're still averaging over 500 yards of offense a game. And, like, and you got other wide receivers out there that have stepped up big time. I mean, Brew McCoy, especially, you know, have back-to-back performances of over 100 yards of receiving is, like, I mean, it's all we could have asked for, especially for a, you know, for a transfer like that. And so I'm not really too worried about him not being out there on Saturday. But the one thing I will give Heupel credit about and compared to last year is, man, especially in that third quarter when we slowed things down a bit and we're rushing the ball and we were still getting first downs, that was like – that was a dream like a year ago. Like – because it was like full-on 100% or nothing at all. And just – so just to finally see this team to be able to get together on offense and be able to play two different type of tempos. And it's kind of like what CG said. He's definitely learned his lesson a little bit on that. But we got to – you know, we got to work on the run game for sure. But they've improved a lot in the last two weeks. And I think that bye week really helped a lot big time. I think on top of that, like we did that without Gerald Mincy too. We did, you know, Dane Davis yeah. and Jeremiah Crawford took over on the line and we were getting pushed against a talented SEC or, you know, LSU defensive line, like BJ Ojolari, a first round pick, first round picks on both sides on that defensive line. They're not, you know, no weak defensive line in this conference. So to get that push and, you know, Javari Small having arguably his best game as of all, two touchdowns, 127 yards. That was crazy to see on 22 carries. And like CG said, it's still vanilla run game, but that's just the expectation in the Hypel offense. Everywhere he's gone, it's been an average of like 200 yards as a running back, and he loves to dish it out equally to multiple backs. So I think we're also just seeing the beginning of that and to see it happening at LSU, talent like that, that was great going into Bama week. Well, another no, go ahead. Um, you know, since y'all are talking about the balance and how last year, like, it, our time of possession was absolutely ridiculously unmatched. And in this LSU-Tennessee game, Tennessee held the ball 30 minutes, 24 seconds to LSU's 29 minutes, 36 seconds. Talk about an incredibly balanced performance where we still just absolutely demolished them. That's why teams can't prepare for this offense because they know that we can snap the ball in three seconds, but we don't have to. You know what I mean? It's just crazy the differences that we've seen and the package that we've seen put on the field this year in such a short amount of time. Isn't it interesting that we've been talking for about 17 minutes and what name hasn't come up yet? Hendon Hooker. And what's interesting <laughs> is, that, is that his decision-making has been superb. You know, he... He rarely has to go through his progressions because somebody's open. I mean, when you have a ball coach like Josh Heupel, he's got guys running routes and they're getting open. But when he does have to go through his progressions, almost to a fault, he knows when to find the third or fourth guy and when to take off. And he's he's been patient. He, has, he hasn't done anything reckless. 
I mean, for all of the brilliance that he has in terms of the deep balls, which now, of course, we said last year, everybody said last year, if they had the timing, they probably would have won three more games. It was, a, it was an if, but it was a moot point. Now the timing's there. They're getting those deep balls. His passing down the, you know, down the field, pushing the field, extending the field across the middle, dink and dunk. But at the same time, when he needs to use his feet, his decision-making, he's so smart. Uh, I mean, I don't know that people talk, uh, national media guys talk enough about that part of his game because he's so measured. You look at him after the game and they asked him about, you know, about the, the, the block that he missed block that almost got, got him killed. And he's like, well, we had a, we had a conversation. We had to talk about that. He's a freshman. It's okay. He's just so level as opposed to you watch Brian Kelly, watch some of the players in that sideline and they're losing their minds. And this team has the tempo and the attitude uh, and the feel of, of Josh, Mr. Josh, of uh, Hendon Hooker's personality. And you can just see it. They're all relaxed. And uh, we know when they need to get aggressive and, and pound away, they do. Otherwise, they're just they're like watching a dolphin go through the water. Best metaphor that I could come up with. And that's incredible, too, because, you know, we feed as fans, you know, everyone feeds off of that energy, right? And so what an incredible poise in the pocket he has, like the poise that quarterback, the patience that he has, everyone else feeds off of that too. That's just like me. I mean, in the pit game, they proved to us that they can win close overtime games on the road. So now when we're in close situations, guess where my head is finally at? We can do this. It's not, oh, here we go again. It is oh, yeah. literally. 100% turnaround because I have faith that Hendon Hooker can get the job done and I have faith in the team to get the job done. And I just cannot believe I'm saying that. Uh, Especially Josh Heupel's year two. I mean, if you would have told us two years ago that in less than two years, we'd have a brand new head coach who would turn things around in less than 18 months and we would have the number six team in the country and be undefeated to go in against Alabama. Everyone called you a lunatic, myself included, of course. But like, yeah. how, how, like, what speak volumes for Hendon Hooker though? To like, for us to all now like casually take for granted for him just to throw 250, 300 yards, get 400 yards of offense on himself alone. I mean, that speaks volumes of the high level he's playing at right now. Why he's the third best, you know, third highest odds of winning the Heisman this year. And you even heard Hooker himself after that game. He's like, yeah. I missed a few balls there, and I didn't really play my best game. I could definitely, you know, improve on that. I mean, like, it's unbelievable. I mean, like, if JG was out there throwing 250, 300 yards, we'd be like, oh, my God, like, this dude's unbelievable. So, yeah. I think I think we're going to see – and I, like, I really believe this, and we'll talk more about it when we go towards the Alabama game, but I think we're about to see his career best performance, one of the best performances in Tennessee football history from a quarterback – and I think he's going to solidify solidify his status as a vault legend after Saturday. I really believe yeah. that. Oh, man. I'll, I'll finish it with this on the Hendon Hooker topic that, you know, last year when we first saw that first glimpse of him, you saw that in game, he's a gamer. Yeah, this offense is building how it is, you know, with the quick passes and making big plays, small plays to get big plays. But when those plays fall short, Hendon Hooker's legs come alive and they save this offense and create those big chunk plays where you saw it this year against Florida and now LSU last week on third down where he breaks free for 15, 20 yards and uses his legs to add an extra, you know, thing to this offense. And now you're even seeing going into Bama week, I know we're going to cover it, but Nick Saban's been gloating about that. You know, you can play coverage, whatever you want to do, but they have playmakers at wide receiver, their backs are getting hot. And then you have Hendon Hooker that you can't just drop deep on. Like he's going to run on you now with that ability. 
So to see that um, in game, we touched on how the in game wrinkles, you know, offense making that. But the final say of like Jalen Hyatt saying today in the press conference, like we're just reading coverages out there. We're just seeing what the defense is giving us and we're making adjustments. Uh, it comes from the coordinator and then Hendo Cinco making in game adjustments. And, you know, he's making big plays. That deep ball to Hyatt, I don't know how we didn't touch on that. Maybe Hendon Hooker's best pass as of all. And, you know, when I first saw it, I'm like, that's an overthrown ball. But you see Jalen Hyatt running down the sideline full speed. And it caught the attention of a lot of people, including uh, Chad Ocinco on Twitter. So that was great to see. I think I've replayed that play 500 plus times. <laughs> it's man. literally so incredible to just see uh, that as us. I mean, my God, what an incredible thing to watch. So I feel like leading into Bama, I know we don't want to talk about this really at all, but it's a huge factor, I think, leading into this week. Let's talk about Jalen McCulloch and what is going on, what we're going to do with our secondary now. I have no clue where we stand. I do think this is a pretty big piece to the puzzle, even bigger than whether or not Bryce Young plays. I think this is even bigger than that. So from, from what I've heard that uh, Georgia Tech transfer from this past year, Wesley Walker, national native at Overton, he's uh, going to probably be getting the nod to start, probably followed by some playing time by Andre Turrentine. And then on top of that, you still got, you know, Danico Slaughter, who stepped in for Trey Flowers, you know, a bunch last week against LSU. And he made some big plays, too. So to see like that, you know, a little glimpse of depth, I would love to see the two transfers get involved to see, you know, what we got there. Um, you know, Christian Charles has also got has been, you know, contributing a lot at corner. But he's such a good athlete that he can also play safety as well. So if you slot a guy like that and, you know, let D Williams maybe get a few snaps at corner. I just think that, you know, we've always talked about personnel being the worst spot on this team now Warren Burrell with all that happening you know we can touch into the you know the details of that but on the field uh it's going to be a big loss you know he was a big contributor all the veterans to lose him and then on top of that uh Warren Burrell so it's just it's going to be a test but I think the guys are going to be able to step up uh Tim Banks is going to do the best he can to move guys around yeah, I mean, not really, not really smart on his end to follow the guy. I mean, allegedly, of course, I don't know. Allegedly, of his rest, allegedly, to follow him all the way down outside his apartment complex and then just knock him in the back of the head. Not really smart, but who really knows what's going on in that situation? But I mean, guys, it's like what I told you two weeks ago. Like the fact that, like, I'm saying that, like, Warren Burrell is a massive loss is like it just it speaks volumes of like how bad the secondary is. And like no disrespect, of course, I would never, I would never do that type of stuff on the show, of course. But Christian Charles is like, you know, he's he played at safety last year, and I think you're going to see him, in my opinion, at least, be back on the safety position. It makes the most sense. And D. Williams has shown flashes over there, you know, last weekend as well that he can contribute. And there's, there's just not a good answer. The only thing I think we can hope, as far as defensively goes, is that our front seven just puts the most enormous amount of pressure on Jalen Monroe or, Bri or Bryce Young, whoever is going to be Alabama's quarterback, and just hope that one of our guys doesn't blow coverage. Well, I was about to say I'm going to take a different road than all of you, but Drew has successfully stolen my thunder. Um, <laughs> I, I I think that, um, you know, the Vols play – they play a lot of zone. And I'm not a big fan of zone, but they play a lot of zone, and, they, and we can almost guarantee they're going to see more of that because of McCullough being out. So – I think Drew nailed it 
I really believe Banks is gonna is gonna dial up a lot more pressure. This puts a lot more pressure on the on the front seven. They've got to get to whether it's Young um, or or whether it's Milrow, whoever is back there. I don't care who's back there. I mean, they're both effective. They both have good numbers. They both can run. Uh, you're you're getting a little bit of different dynamic. You're getting more experience, obviously. Well, you're getting a Heisman Trophy winner. You're getting a a, a, a great player in in Young, but. Any great quarterback uh, is only as good as his offensive line. And I'm not breaking news here. This has got to be the best game for this defensive line that a Tennessee DL has had in the year and a half that Josh Heupel has been here. They need to get – they need to – I don't care if, they, if they're throw, throwing safety blitzes at them, if they're bringing extra pressure, if they're moving guys around at the front, bringing a guy into, into the A-gap when if he gets pushed away. I, they, they've got to bring pressure all game long to disrupt whoever is back there to take some of the pressure off the secondary, which is it's going to be it's going to be a, a, a job for these guys. But I think they I think they can step up and I think they can do it because a lot of times, how many times do we watch a game, collegiate or NFL, where somebody's out? And it's like, oh man, that's that's going to be a problem, and somebody steps in and it's not a problem. Somebody steps in and maybe not necessarily plays the game of their life, but they step in and they do what they were supposed to do because of why they were recruited. Well, CG, like you just said, to, to be without your star wide receiver possibly in Cedric Tillman, your two most veteran guys in Warren Burrell and Jalen McCullough now possibly not playing this weekend. And to you know, say that Tennessee still has a chance to go this weekend into Knoxville against Alabama and take care of business is just speak volumes. You know, two years ago, like Drew always talks about, it, it's crazy to say that the offense is that powerful and the defense, you know, has shown flashes of pressure and playing, you know, in rhythm with the offense so they have a chance to go out there and win. And I can't believe we haven't talked about it, but the crowd is going to be crazy this weekend. Oh. It's going to be wild. So, Well, it better be because I was honestly – I was let down at Florida. And, you know, all the media was talking about, like, how loud Florida was. And I still hold the comparison to that Oklahoma game. And it was not even, like, a stone's throw away from being anywhere close to that. So it better be, like, a hell of a lot louder and better – than what it was against Florida because it one it has to be, but I want to talk a little bit about um, quarterback debate. Um, you know, I would have never ever up to this moment say this, but I hope Bryce Young plays. I really do. I think that we can beat. I really truly think we can beat Alabama with him in if we play our game, best game of the season, even with the guys that Brando just mentioned. If they're out, all of them. I would rather Bryce Young play because I I truly think we can still beat them. He's certainly not at 100%. Oh, yeah. With his injury, there's no way he's lifting. There's no way he can throw as hard. So on top of that, I mean, I'm not ever wishing for anyone to get injured, and I'm certainly not wishing that now. But he's just not, not going to be at his best anyways. So if they decide yeah. to roll him out there, I think we can handle it. And I, I'm not a doctor, but, you know – an AC sprain in the shoulder, how Bryce Young played, and, you know, he fell in that play. They showed the highlight multiple times. An AC sprain usually is two to six weeks. Um, you know, they, Nick Saban said tonight that, you know, he's been practicing one day by day. But as on a snap count instance, uh, just to be honest, there's no way he's able to throw that ball consistently 30 yards. He might have five or six good passes. But just with the injury, you know, they didn't say how severe the sprain was. But any shoulder sprain like that and his mobility to get that arm up, it's going to be a factor. And, you know, you know, with the pressure we've had, I just wonder, like, how long, even if he does play, that he'll last in that game, to be honest. Because if he's on a pitch count, Alabama's best chance to win is going to be able to take, you know, advantage of Milrose run game 
and get the best they can out of Bryce Young. But, you know, just like Cedric Tillman, we don't want to rush him back this game. They saw what happened to two at Alabama before when they rushed him back. Bryce Young is for sure a first-round talent in next year's draft. Bama has a lot of decisions to make, and it comes down to Bryce Young and Nick Saban. But I just don't think, you know, I would rather play Bryce Young too because I think Jalen Milrow honestly gives them the best chance to win this weekend in Knoxville. I, I mean, I don't, I don't know because honestly, regardless of who plays the quarterback, like if we beat Alabama, there's going to be excuses from not only Alabama fan base but the national media being like, "Well, you play Jalen Milrow, or you played a hurt Bryce Young." Like at this point, like I don't, I don't care. Like I, like I have confidence regardless that like we can win this game. And one of the things that, like, that's huge on, you know, in terms of Bryce Young having this injury is that this affects his mobility as being able to throw the ball on the run outside the pocket. Like, it was like one of those things I heard Eric Ainge talk about a couple of days ago. Because Eric Ainge had a very similar injury when he was, you know, 2006, 2007. And he's like, in the pocket, he could be able to throw the ball. But once you're moving outside the pocket and you're being mobile, you don't have the accuracy. And you certainly don't have the distance either of being able to throw that deep ball like you used to. And the one thing that we saw last Saturday with Jalen Milrow is that he's awful quarterback. I mean, like, he's quick. He's, he's a great athlete. But, like, you know, you're talking about he had two fumbles and interception. He was three of the four turnovers that he had last Saturday against, quite honestly, not a very good Texas A&M team. So, I think regardless, we're in a good situation. And if Bryce Young does play, then you put seven, eight guys in the blitz and you force him to roll out to the left or to his right and make him throw a ball on the run. And you're guaranteed to win that game. Like I, I, it's unbelievable. I mean, I'm sure y'all are both laughing, especially because from two months ago, I was like, this game's a definite loss. But honestly, I yeah, mean, the Florida, I, I truly believe like we could, regardless of who's there at quarterback under center, Vols get the dub. Who would have thought Drew would be on the Vols well, beating Bama? <laughs> Bama, like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Go ahead, CJ. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna no, no, that's okay. I'm gonna maybe take a lateral move with this here, with the quarterbacks and maybe looking at mistakes a little bit more broadly. This is an Alabama team. Obviously, they have, this is a team that has more talent than than Tennessee on both sides of the ball. Uh, this is a team that that has championship pedigree, but this is a team this year for whatever reason they have not played as smart a football this year as they have played in previous years. This is a team that has got nine turnovers and taken 49 penalties. Nine turnovers, 49 penalties. Um, Hendon Hooker has how many interceptions? Um, That would be none. Uh, So I I think that this defense of Tennessee, I believe, I really believe they can force Alabama into making more mistakes because making more mistakes is what they've been doing consistently all year long. And it's got to make Saban nuts. And you can coach these guys up as much as you want, but they've made those mistakes all game. And I, I, I agree, but I don't think Milrow doesn't really impress me. I mean, he's probably a five-star, you know, all-American coming out of high school. But I think that if if the Vols win the mistake department, if they win the turnover department, if they play smart, they can't have you know procedure penalties. They can't have endless holding penalties. They can't have. Uh, and we're playing Alabama, so. You know, right now it's Wednesday, and the Vols already have five penalties and eighty yards of penalties. Uh, you know, I, they, they're already calling them. So, uh, but they really go out of their way to just play smart, aggressive, play smart. And I really believe that they can continue the trend that has happened this year, especially in the Texas game, in the Arkansas game, uh, and and uh, to a certain extent the Texas A&M game, where you saw these Bama quarterbacks, well, in this case Milrow, making mistakes. There's, I, I have no reason to believe. 
that they won't continue to. And one thing I'm going to I'm going to respect disagree with on low, and that's the crowd, because you're right. The the crowd for Oklahoma was nuts. Decibels were were one eight. They got up to one oh six for the for the Florida game. That's more than most stadiums ever see in a lifetime. My brother-in-law was next to me. We were in YY6, and all I could see were his lips moving. So it was loud. But comparatively speaking, Lo, I'm with you. The, the crowd needs to bring – they need to see that meter on the on the Jumbotron hit about 120 or 125. I completely agree with you. If it gets to that point, man, I'm going to be so out of control. I did want to mention – correct me if I'm wrong, but did Nick <laughs> Saban say that this was the most disciplined team he's ever had? Uh, in pre, like in preseason press conference, talking about, yeah, I, I believe so. But then you I mean, have Henry they T haven't played that two. way. Forty nine penalties for four hundred. Oh, I'm sorry, forty nine. I did. I wrote it down to make sure I didn't get it wrong. Forty nine penalties for four hundred twenty nine yards. That pardon my English. That ain't discipline. Yeah, you're talking about averaging eight penalties for about 71 and a half yards per game. Like, it's that's not discipline at all. And it's actually yeah. not even really that much better than what we're doing right now, which is honestly saying something because, you know, you always have at least Jeremy Banks getting three or four penalties. Saying, yeah. So, like, to, to touch on that, like, if they're making those kind of plays already, I know we're going to, you know, be down our, you know, veteran defensive backs. But, you know, our defensive line, now our linebackers going out there making plays. I still think the D-line with guys like Omari Thomas and, you know, Jeremy Banks, Aaron Beasley, they can go out there and make plays. And, like, if they can, you know, force Bryce Stone to throw, if he does play, I definitely see a shot for turnover still there. Jalen Milrow has just shown that, you know, with him, if we back him up into the south end zone with the student section, man, and he has a full-on away environment, 101-915, screaming in his ear. Like, I fully expect this game just to be crazy in general, orange out effect. But if you put him in an environment like that, I know he played in, you know, last week in Bama, had his home environment in a big game. But when you have people that are literally want to come after you when the game is over, it's going to be different. And I think that's going to play a huge, huge part. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's going to be way different. You, you, guys were, you guys were students there. Uh. No, I was. I wanted to forgive my interruption. You guys were all students at UT, right? You were. I was not. Yeah, no. I I lived in here. I I heard a, I heard a coach say this once, and I thought it was brilliant. And and you'll all know what I'm talking about here. You know, the student section they give them the pom poms, and I remember a coach saying, "Put your excitement into your voice, not shaking your pom pom." And and I I tell you what, it seems simplistic. It seems a little silly. But it's really easy when you're sitting there to like, yeah, and you're doing this. Put your excitement into your vocal cords and bring that kind of heat. That that that's what we need to see on Saturday. Forgive my interruption, but that that's what we. It's great to see pop bombs. Looks great on TV, but make that noise. I, I saw a tweet on Vol Twitter that said that if you somehow still had a voice after that Florida game and you weren't, you know, grasping for air for a week after. You better be there in Neyland this week and be screaming your head off because the loud, the Neyland noise is going to make a difference. I think the record right now is 115. If we got up to borderline dangerous, I know that's a Geraldo quote, but I think we really have to, man. I think we really have to get up that loud. And, you know, last year's Ole Miss game was special to me. I know this week's game, you know, I'm going to have my Juice Davis victory cigar in hand. I got one for me, one my mom. You know, we got from Skybox Bar and Grilled our live show on my birthday back in August. So, I'm fully ready, man. And, you know, to convince myself, like, every day, it's like, I'm convinced we're going to win. The anxiety, I'm convinced we're going to win. And now we're on the live show. And, like, we really have a path to go out there and beat Bama in Neyland. 
And I really do hope that Danny White has a pair of a goalposts on hand and on delivery because we're taking those things to the Calhouns on the river and we're dumping them in the Tennessee River. It's, it's, it's going to happen. So the All Navy is going to have a full-on week of celebration. Man, I well, you're right about losing your voice for Florida. Hell, I lost mine down here at LSU. No shit. Like the Cajuns in front of me were turning around like, could you please shut the hell up? They didn't say that, but they were like, why are you so excited? I'm like, this is what we do. This is what we do. Like, I don't care care if you're, we're up 20 to zero. I'm still screaming my head off. That's what I'm going to do every single Saturday that Tennessee is playing. All right. I have to tell you three, I got and, and, and your great audience. I have to tell you a very, very brief story about a, a Bama game that I was at once. I, I was sitting at midfield. I never sit at midfield. I like sitting in the upper deck and looking down. But I had a couple next to me, a guy and his gal, and all game – now, half my family's from the South, so I'm allowed to imitate the Southern dialect. All game long, this dude was like, I hear you, Bama. I hear you, Bama. There's an elderly lady behind me who's a Tennessee fan. She had finally had enough. She takes her purse and she goes, boom, over the guy's head. He's like, do you hear that? Do you hear that, Mr. Bama? She goes, I showed him, didn't I? <laughs> well, like, that's I'll like never the, the forget freaking... that. <laughs> that is so great. Y'all remember that one Barstool video that went viral during the Florida week of the man that was talking about how crazy, you know, Tennessee was in the environment. It was talking about screaming with the crowd. And then he talks about the old lady that, you know, just looks at him at one point, started doing the gator chomp and throwing the birds. But the next time was patting him on the back. Like, that's just us, man. Like Lo said, we did it this week in Tiger Stadium. We do it every week in Neyland Stadium when we're there. Like, to have the passion that we do and to say that we're 5-0 and going into Bama week, a top 10 matchup, number six versus number three. It's just, you know insane to see and i know like this week it's going to be different for the fans they were kind of quiet but i'm kind of expecting a little hostile environment like old miss fans were chirping last year because they backed their coach and kiffin this year i think i think bama fans low-key think that like tennessee has a chance and it's going to make them nervous so i want to see how they come into Neyland and you know accept all the the vibes that are going to be laid at hand I don't think a lot of you guys, like, realize, like, how big of a game this is. Like, when you talk about – I mean, I personally think this is the biggest game in Neyland Stadium since 98 Florida. Like, when you really think about it, when you have an undefeated Tennessee, undefeated Alabama, number six versus number three, the first time where both these teams have been undefeated against each other since 1989, way back in the day. And I looked it up over the 120-year history, the highest-ranked matchup between Tennessee and Alabama with six and number three. I don't, I think this is going to be an atmosphere like it's like what Reese Davis said. This is going to be Florida on steroids. I think it's going to be Oklahoma on steroids. Like, I think this is going to be the most unreal, deafening, chaotic, wildest atmosphere I think Neyland Stadium, Shield, Watkins Field has ever seen as 100 in year one history. I truly believe that. God, that's just getting me so fired. I was uh... flipping out. Yeah, I was in uh, I was in YY9 row 10 for the 98 Florida game. Except for halftime, nobody sat down for 3 hours and 45 minutes. Nobody sat down. And I would say that I'm curious what you three think about this. Uh because it's been on my mind most of the day. There's a, I've seen a lot of Vols fans feeling a little itchy, a little a little a little squirmy about talking about this game like, hey, you know, we can win. 
And I, I don't feel that way at all because if you don't play or if you, as a fan, if you don't have an expectation that your team is going to win, and I, Lord knows for too many years I went into games like this or Florida, oh, hell, get playing Kentucky. It, I hope we don't embarrass ourselves on national TV. It's not disrespecting Alabama. It is not in any way marginalizing how great of talent they have or how great of overall program they have. And Saban is a, is a genius. I just think that this really is one of those moments. And I agree completely with Drew. I, I think this is, this is a benchmark moment. See football history over 2020. And it is, a, it's a mad and every, and I mean, every moment you guys know this, that has come even close to the Vols have failed. Because they didn't have the right staff. They didn't have the right game plan. They didn't have the right talent. I think the confluence of all of those things is right. It doesn't mean they're going to win, but I absolutely believe they have a great chance to win this game. And again, it's not disrespecting Alabama. That's belief in what this coaching staff and this team has the ability to do. I'll say CG, I think I want to say this, uh, the, the growing confidence, I feel like from the fans week by week, like you're seeing it kind of grow and grow and grow from the battered ball syndrome. But I think that has to do with like Heifel and the team and what he's installed in the program. Like every week, no matter who the opponent is, they go out there and they expect to win. And you saw that with LSU. Like I know a lot of us were iffy about LSU weekend against the top team like that. But like no matter what, no matter who it is, like you see them go in and buy into the game plan, buy into what's at plan and like what they practice all week. And I think, you know, installing that confidence and seeing them play with that, even with the players that we do have out and to see them still go in and like step into the plan and like the overall game plan and still be successful. That like gives us the confidence like that we can go out there and compete with anybody. And last year or the year before that, you'd be like, no way you're going to go out there and compete with Bama. And then you look this year, five and oh, for the first time since 2016. And you say, hey, like we have a legit shot no matter who's at quarterback no matter what we're doing with like our staff and what we've installed now in the last two years puts us at a chance to go out there and win. And that confidence with our team comes to this fan base. And for that, that's a good thing for Vol Twitter at this point, I think. So, I mean, I think the thing is as well, it's like, we're just like, this team's improving every single week as well. And I think that's a huge contrast compared to like, you know, the Butch years of 2015 and 2016, where we certainly had talent to compete and beat Alabama but we were just never had a game where we could fully put it together. And like this team is just able, I mean, whether if it's the defensive side of the ball, if our front seven or even Hendon hooker in our offense, they're just improving every single week. And with the combination of Bama struggling, you know, personal fouls, you know, and getting eight, nine penalties a game, 110, 120 yards of, you know, of yards on the line, you know, leaving out in the field. I think it's just a combination and just a recipe for the Vols to like, you know, to, to put their name back like where they truly belong. And I think with a win like this, Florida was big, LSU's big, but to beat a number three Alabama in that 15-year streak, you're you're talking about college football playoff status. Well, we, I mean, as we as the Vols sit right now, aren't they still at 23% chance to make the college football playoff? 23 or 26, I can't remember precisely. That is absolutely Excuse my language. That's fucking insane. I mean, let's get real. That is absolutely insane to think about right now. Everyone needs to fuel off of that. Yeah. And all- 
CG. Yeah, I. This is why. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I forget my interruptions. I'm trying to time the delays. Um, I, I just put so little stock in that or the, the FPI on ESPN, which had LSU 59, uh, Tennessee 41 in terms of who had more strength to it. Just later for that. Just later for that. Uh, I, I just think. Uh, I just think that and this is the old adage, right? If they just take care of their own business and they just keep winning, they're going to be fine. I I saw the um, the 538 website and had a headline saying, is Tennessee back? We'll see after the Alabama game. And and I, it was a good article. It was a really good article highlighting all of the pluses that, that are happening with Tennessee football right now. But if the Vols don't win Saturday, the program is still back. The program is absolutely back. The program, we knew the program was back last year with the way this team played going seven and six. They very easily, we said it, how many times have we said it? Could have won three more games. But I I, I take exception to the, the, the 23% and 17%. And I just, I, what I find interesting is that you're starting to hear. I mean, I talked to a couple of national, knowing that I was going to be talking with you guys, I talked to a couple of national media guys not going to say uh, who they are. Um, and I, I'm here to tell you, they have been big-time critics uh, of Tennessee. And quietly, they're like, that's a good football team. That's a scary football team. a really scary football team. Even Keyshawn Johnson the other day in, uh, you know, ESPN saying, tell you what, college football, the team that they should be worried about, Tennessee Volunteers. That is so mind-blowing to me. I just – I truly can't get over that. But here's another thing worth mentioning. You see how Alabama struggled against Texas and Texas A&M. Georgia has not been playing their best football by any means. And it seems like every single game the Vols are improving. Not only – I mean, a bunch of people thought losing Cedric Tillman was the end-all, be-all. That didn't matter. Everyone else just stepped up. These injuries don't matter. Everyone else just keeps stepping up. We just keep getting better every game. We're learning something new every game. And we are finally, for the first time, to me anyway, like starting to play our best football going into midseason while everyone else seems to be kind of falling downward. Now, that's not to say that they're just going to fall down because obviously these elite teams are going to, step right back up. I'm not saying that they're just going to keep playing downward. But what I am saying is we just keep taking this steady climb upwards. And I don't see us just falling apart in any of these games. I think we're going to be competitive in every single game. I think the crazy part is, I was going to say, like, all you have to do is win one of the two games, the big games against Bama and Georgia, who are both looking beatable. If we take care of business this weekend and we fall to Georgia later in the year, just looking ahead, even though we shouldn't, like, we still control our path no matter what in this day and age of the four-team college playoff. And that's just crazy to see, obviously, like, the percentage right now. But, like, to win one of the two and, you know, even if we don't make the SEC championship, if we do fall to Georgia or whatever, like, we'd still have a shot to get in. Like, it's just crazy. And, like, it's it's an absolute and crazy insane step. I mean, guys, just, just think about this for a second. Like, just take a little step back, right? You're talking about a week ago, a week ago from next Wednesday, maybe two years ago today – where we lost to Kentucky 34 to 7 at home. 34 to 7, yeah. right? I was there. I mean, I was one of the 15,000 people that were there at that game. 
And nice. it looked like the program hit rock bottom. We fired our defensive line coach at halftime. I mean, the whole entire program was in disarray. We were playing th- four different quarterbacks. And you're talking about, and two years later, we're talking about beating Alabama at home and potentially a college football playoff spot. And 10-2 and, 10 and two being the floor. I mean, being the absolute bare minimum. Like, this speaks volumes on the turnaround, on Josh Heupel, this athletic program especially, you know, Danny White. I mean, everyone in this whole entire university to be able to be invested in and finally be on one page. And, I mean, it it does not speak volumes enough on, like, how unbelievable this is. I've never seen anything like this. I mean, even with other programs like baseball took a couple years with Vitello. You know, Bruce Pearl, he had one year, but – in Bruce Pearl's defense, he had like three NBA players on his very first team. I mean, this is unbelievable. And the crazy thing is, too, we still have roster spots available. We're not even full scholarship. Yet, you know? We still got, you know, 27, 28 guys that we need to add on there. And we're not even year two as far as having Heupel's talent, you know, talent in there. So it's just insane to think. And I think everyone, not just listening to the show, but everyone in general just needs to take a step back and realize how unbelievable it is to think that we're the number six team in the country, undefeated going in against Alabama, and potentially talking about not only an SEC championship appearance, but a college football playoff appearance as well. Absolutely. I, I'm trying to figure out is CG. And I, I, would, I would add this. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I would add that one of the things that I've noticed about this team, I think we've all noticed, is that this team, these players, they don't play scared. They're not afraid of making a mistake. That comes straight from Josh Heupel and that entire staff. You never see Heupel screaming and belittling somebody on the bench. And, you know, we've all played sports. Different strokes for different, you know, coaches and what have you. But I think that that has given this team, empowered this team to – to play free and easy and confident. And it's a kind of expectation. We touched on this earlier in the program, expectation uh, and a kind of confidence that, that we've not seen out of, out of Tennessee football uh, in an awfully long time. And, and I, I mean, for, for one, it's, it's refreshing to see that kind of attitude from this team top to bottom. And it starts with Josh Heupel. For sure. I just want to say real quick, if I happen to disappear, it is, a horrible storm right now. I don't, I can't even hardly hear. So if for some reason I disappear, finish the show without me. Um, however, I did want to at least get to everyone's key points for what Tennessee absolutely like the top things that y'all think they have to do to succeed Saturday and actually beat Bama this time. I guess my five things, not to quote the drive, but it, you know, is five things. I guess one, the offense. The offense has to have their best game. You know, Hendon Hooker has to have control against a crazy talented Bama defense with Will Anderson and one of the top edge rushers. Uh, Bama, they have talent. To quote Rodney Garner this past week, you know, Bama's like a Mercedes Benz. No matter who falls down at a position for Bama, like they're going to reload and you know roll something out there, brand new, a brand new product out there. So we're going to get our best match of the year so far. Um, I definitely think number one has to be the offense. Uh, number two, special teams. Bama's going to, you know, have drives where they do stop us. I think back to the previous games this year where our punts did get blocked, where people were able to get in the backfield and create turnovers, get the punts off quick, uh, pin them deep. If Bryce Young plays or if Jalen Milrow plays, make it hard for them to go all the way down the field and score against us. 
when we do fall short. Uh, my third thing would probably be the defensive line. We saw it against LSU. They have to create pressure no matter who is back there. They have to get negative plays. Uh, to, this defense has been known for creating negative plays. It's going to be key against a team like Alabama and not even giving them the chance to make big plays with their receivers. Uh, number four would have to be uh, just Hendon Hooker, man. He has to go out there. You know, you talk about the third best odds in the Heisman. Um, he has to go out there and prove it, play his best game and create plays when, you know, stuff goes south. Because I promise, even though teams are hard to wrinkle against Tennessee, Bama has the talent to, you know, probably stop us a drive or two. And we saw it last year. But this year, like, those plays can be avoided. And if we can make plays, get the first down, extend the drive like we did against LSU, three for three on fourth down, that could be the key to victory. So little four things. Yeah, so I do have five things. Shout out to Russell. Shout out there. Had to, you know, steal their whole entire thing. But, I mean, five points. Five keys to victory. We got to protect Hinton Hooker at all costs. I mean, this Alabama front seven with Will Anderson, Alabama's Byron Young. I know it's very confusing that they have a Byron Young as well. It's very weird. But, and also, you know, the Antichrist, Henry Toto as well. Uh, you know, these three guys, I mean, all first round, second round draft picks, you know, will wind up being all SEC. And Will Anderson will especially be all American. Uh, you know, this is going to be the biggest test our offensive line. I feel like they'll have all year. Uh, Fantastic front seven. Another thing for me is, like, we got to start off fast. I mean, literally at the same pace like we did with LSU. If you can start off first two or three drives, getting points on the board, a couple TDs, and even a field goal here and there, just to get points every single time they're on the field is huge for the team. Fourth or third one, sorry, fourth one, pressure on Alabama's quarterback, whether it's Bryce Young or Jalen Milrow. I mean, if they're going to put out a hurt Bryce Young, force him out of the pocket, make him roll right, make him use his bum, you know, right shoulder, and make him throw a very uncomfortable pass, he's not. He's going to be playing in pain the entire game if he does play. And I have no confidence in Jalen Milrow either being able to throw, you know, a deep ball or, you know, an accurate pass as well, kind of like Bryce Young does. And the fifth, we got to stop Jameer Gibbs, the running back, the transfer from Georgia Tech. This guy, I mean – no other way to describe it. Absolute dog. I mean, he had 154 rushing yards against AM week before over 200 yards against Arkansas. He's going to give our front seven problems. And if he gets any open gaps at all, he's going to easily get 25, 30 yards of carry without a doubt. Um, if we could find a way to put some pressure in there, get in the backfield quick and make him make a move, I think this team has a great chance of coming off with a W. Love it. What about you, CG? Uh, a couple of things. I think uh, number one, uh, what everybody is on the quarterback, whoever's back, they have to get pressure. Uh, number two, they need to wrap up. They cannot miss tackles. Alabama will crucify them if they don't wrap up. The guy that gets to the ball, cut him up and get help. Do not let guys squiggle away. Number three, on offense, they need to extend. Is in single coverage. I believe this core of receivers for Tennessee can burn them. And Hendon Hooker, I fully expect he will be accurate. They need to extend the field. Number four, they need to play mistake free. And I mean, they need to play smart football because the crowd's going to be nuts when Alabama has the ball. The procedure penalties off. I got to limit all that stuff. Finally, the red zone. You will not beat Alabama with field goals. When they get into the red zone, they need to come away with seven. Every time or almost every time, they need sevens, not threes. 
I love that CG. And I was about to say that, you know, I talked about Heupel not opening the playbook or being too, too risky, mostly because he really hasn't had to. But if we're going to be down in the red zone against Alabama and we want a legitimate shot, then I say, screw it. Look at our fourth down history this year. I can't even, I, I'm sure one of y'all knows the percentage. It's upwards of what, 78, 80%. Yeah. You're on mute. Thank you. I, I think it's up to um I think it's up to eighty two percent after we went three for three crazy for against LSU. So that should be enough confidence for Heupel to have in his offense that if we're down there and if we lose but we went for it on every fourth down in the red zone or in reasonable different or in reasonable distance, I am absolutely one hundred percent okay with that because you do not beat Bama by field goals. Period. Great point, CG. The other thing um, that the other biggest thing that I think, just in addition to everyone playing really well offensively and defensively, is the special teams. If they come out like they did against LSU and add that extra element, the crowd is in it from the immediate kickoff. Not that they aren't going to be already, but that immediately takes momentum through and through. Um, if they come out and play hot all game, then I think this team has a phenomenal chance. Um, and lastly, I just I, – all right, before I get cut off, I really do want to get everyone's score predictions. So I don't want to miss that. We have to do it. And I'll set you up. So the line has moved down to Alabama only being favored by seven. Um, it opened up at a huge one and has quickly narrowed. The over-under is 65 and a half. Brando, start us. I think the real, like, realistic line should be, like, minus three for Bama. But I think Tennessee comes away and wins this game, like, 38-34. Even no matter who starts, I think Drew made a great point about Jameer Gibbs. He's, you know, the Bama offense averaging 257 yards. Our rushing defense is our best element on defense. Um, even if Jalen Milrow is a quarterback, that benefits us because we've not seen, you know, flashes of him passing. I think Tennessee definitely has a chance to go out there and win. Uh, we saw this past weekend, you know, Lowe said earlier that we didn't even play our best and we put up 40 points on a great LSU defense. So I definitely think 38 is possible, 38-34. Bama has so much talent. It's going to compete. They're going to, you know, throw shots back. But we're going to have our way. You saw what A&M did with a hurt Haynes King. You saw earlier with, you know, Quint Ewers. If he didn't go out, he's probably beating them at Texas. I definitely think Tennessee can go in there and compete. And, you know, at 22 years old, you know, I've never thought in my life ever watching a Tennessee-Bama game, I'm going to be there in person. And I have a realistic thought that we're going to go in there and beat these motherfuckers. Like, it is crazy. Uh, it's absolutely just insane. And, you know, I think the speed has to be crazy. It has to be faster than Henry Ruggs in his car. And we just have to go out there and, you know, light it up. So, you know, let's go beat Bama. Good God. Brando, oh. did, did, did you did you did you say you're before we give to Drew? Did you say you're 22? <laughs> yeah. Man, I'm feeling achy all of a sudden. I just wow, 22. I feel so old. See, the oh best thing I can point to is 2016, and that's butchism. Like you know, this this is as best as it's gonna get for me, and hopefully it continues for a long time. But to say <laughs> that we have a realistic shot to go in there and beat Saban who all week at his press conferences, you know, has not, you know, has just talked and raved about Tennessee. I feel like he knows that, like, this week's something different. Like, it's going to be his biggest game this year in that tough slate of their schedule. 
Yeah, uh, you could definitely uh, just his tone that, like, you know, compared to years past when he talks about this game, very like he knows this one's like he's nervous about it. I mean, because this is easily in my opinion, the best Tennessee team that he's faced since his time at Alabama. This is the best opportunity Tennessee's had, you know, to not just compete but beat Alabama probably since 2006, 2007. You know, I mean, easily the last 15 years is definitely the best of my lifetime. Um, Except for JG uh, doing that at the goal line. They were right there. Yeah. <laughs> we went through a whole show without talking about it. Too. I had to do it because they really – we didn't expect that to happen, but it certainly was there. Anyway. Yeah. It's just, um, it's yeah. So, seven-point favorites. I think the Vols are going to cover that. I think the Vols are going to win this game. I really do. I don't think this offense is going to skip a beat. I don't have a lot of faith in Alabama's secondary. They allowed 253 yards to Texas A&M's offense. And Haynes King and Max Johnson, no disrespect, they're garbage quarterbacks. They're, they're absolutely terrible. And you're, this is going to be a career day for, you know, for Hinton Hooker. Heisman moment, over 420 yards of total offense, passing and rushing all together. And I got the Vols 45-42. You know, the thing that comes to yeah the the thing that comes to mind about this game is I and I I'm going to invoke Florida here before I give you my score. Think about all the times over the years that it was a one versus two, it was a two versus four, it was a two versus six, and and Tennessee was right there. And what happened? Florida either won or beat the you know what out of us. And it was always Florida getting the headline because Florida seized the moment. They saw the moment. They seized the moment. Without taking anything away from the great talent that Alabama has, the tremendous coaching, the history, I don't think I don't think Saban is nervous. I think he's I think he's concerned because he knows this is going to be a tough game. Nobody on Alabama is going to be nervous about coming in here, but I don't think any Alabama has to go to LSU uh, later in this year. I've been to both stadiums. I don't care what the LSU, LSU fan says when Neyland is at its apex. It is as louder, louder than anywhere in the country. I've been to games at 61 D1 plus stadiums. I've never been anywhere louder when Neyland is at its apex. That said, I do believe uh, that Tennessee will rise to the moment. I and I just feel like this is a, a pivotal moment, a benchmark moment in the football program for over the last 20 years. I've got Tennessee winning this game 38-28. Oh, man. Oh, I love it, CG. So I almost went I almost went like that because my original prediction at the beginning of the season was 38-27 Bama. However, I do think it's going to be closer. Um, so with that being said, I do, I'm going to flip that. I do think that at this point we have all the momentum, everything in our favor despite all odds. So I think Tennessee wins 34-31 and the under hits because I just I just have a feeling. So that's what I'm going to bet as well. But, uh, damn, what an incredible – we're so close, but so far it's Wednesday night. Um, I just can't believe it. CG, are you going to be able to make it? I don't know yet. I hope so. If not, you know, it's just one of those things. I, I really want to be there. Um, and, you know, it, it's I've been to so many Bama games over the years uh, in Neyland, and um, it's I'm split. I've, I've been there for three wins and three losses. And, you know, 
maybe one more quick point, and and that is that if they if the Vols don't win, you know that there's going to be fans, diehard Vols fans, that are going to be so upset they're going to be like, ah, same old story. Here we go again. Same old story. It's not the same old story. It's not the same old story. It's just a, a team with better talent uh, is still beating the Vols. But having said that, uh, I think this coaching staff, more than any that we have seen since Fulmer back in, he had this team ready for anything and everything. Uh, and I mean, I soured on Fulmer in the last in the latter years, uh, but back then he was much sharper than he was in the three years. I think this coaching staff is has got this team with a healthy level of, of respect for Alabama, but he he is not putting that team up on a pedestal, meaning Bama. He's saying, look, they're good. They're really good, but we can beat them. And I, I think that it might be the hypo difference that gets us over the over the hump because hypo will, will you know, in, inject that into these guys' veins, and they're going to come out and play that way. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when they come out through the tea on Saturday? Oh, good grief. It better be like out of control when that happens. Never stop from that point on. <laughs> oh, man. I'm so pumped. I know, I know I'll be at the, the Spire tailgate to start off, probably make my way to the G10 with Haley and the gang down there. I know Stone Cold, one of our loyal listeners, is making an appearance. So maybe make a repeat of Florida Week with, you know, Drew. That'll be cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, just overall, man, it's going to be absolutely crazy. And, like, everyone in the nation is taking notice. Everywhere I go, people are talking about Tennessee versus Bama this weekend. And even recruits, man, like, you have absolutely a crazy amount of visitors this weekend. It's going to be absolutely crazy. Like, you have five-star wide receiver Ohio State commit Carnell Tate, breaking news today that he's going to make a visit to Tennessee for this game. Everyone thought you were down and out. I think we have a realistic shot just because of, like, what we've been able to do 5-0 and this year, that Kelsey Pope doing a tremendous job there. <laughs> Five-star edge rusher Samuel Mpemba, you know, he's going to, you know, break, you know, everything. He's a top recruit, Georgia, Tennessee, Miami involved there. I think Tennessee has a realistic shot. And then getting David Hobbs back on campus for the second time in three weeks. He was here for Florida, too. Five-star defensive lineman. Rodney Garner making a huge impact there. And then we always love a Kentucky downfall. Khalifa Keith, running back commit there. He's blowing up, really interested in Tennessee. It sounds like they're going to have him on campus this weekend, too. So that's a a huge, huge shot. Um, obviously, Alabama weekend. If you can go out there and pull this off, uh, Florida weekend was huge. You saw Mazio Bennett, the 2024 uh, four-star wide receiver. He got two crystal balls, and he was blown away from that Florida game. If you pull it off against Alabama, you've already got, you know, trending with Vice and Lang and David Hobbs. Like, the amount of people that are going to take note from this game is going to be crazy. Um I've had dreams about how this game is going to turn out. Third quarter going into the fourth, we're up. Obviously, friends in low places plays. And then we hit it with some Dixieland delight. It's a song about the state of Tennessee. Um, it's just only right that we get rid of all the curses. Take the goalposts to the river and uh, sing some Dixieland delight. I think Tennessee wins this game. Uh, we get rid of a curse. And I hope, you know, we don't see that man with that one big forehead at this game. Because if not, then we're cursed. But other than that, Tennessee's going to win this game. <laughs> Absolutely. Great recruiting stats there. Can, can I throw one? Can I throw one more? Oh. Yeah. I, that was awesome. Can I throw one more quick thing in? It's about what he was saying about Carnell Tate. So I don't know about you guys, but I've been to a number of games at Ohio Stadium. And beer is a legendary structure. 
But this just in, a game there, Carlos Tate, if he thinks that that crowd is something, that crowd, with all due respect to my friends at Ohio State, Nobody is ever going to confuse an Ohio State home crowd, including playing against Michigan. No one is ever going to confuse that crowd in that stadium with what Neyland's going to be like Saturday. I will say this. If Carnell Tate is coming to this game for legit reasons and not just see the game, if the Vols win this game, he's changing his commitment. I'm going to tell you that right now. Well, well, CG, the, the thing, CG, is that when uh, Carnell Tate was early involved before his commitment, he showed up surprisingly – for a Tennessee Georgia baseball game in one of the SEC series and showed up there with hype and watched the I game. Remember. And like, it was a whole big deal. Um, he's coming back for this game and there's already a movement online with the Vols Instagrams and Twitter to have a, you know, we want Carnell chant out of nowhere. And, you know, you thought it was crazy at the baseball game, you know, where it's only at its, you know, smallest potential, what it can be when it's built fully in Neyland stadium with one hundred one nine fifteen chanting your name, Tennessee pulls off the victory. They've, you know, lived up to all their promises in the early recruiting stage where it was kind of questionable. Not just Carnell Tate, but a lot of these guys where they couldn't really buy in, but they're seeing it happen this season. Tennessee on the verge of going 6-0, being a top five team. You know, the blueprint's already been there, but now they're, you know, putting it out there and, you know, living up to it. And that's going to swerve a lot going into December in the early signing period when, you know, last year Tennessee flipped guys like Justin Williams-Thomas, five-star James Pierce, Huge, huge names that in the end ended up being Tennessee Vols. I think that could happen this year. And it's, you know, the on-field success in general. Dre, you got any final thoughts? Um, no. No. Brando, Brando CG said it perfectly. I'm, I'm speechless over here. All right. This I Land of Light is a song about Tennessee. Thanks to Dre real quick. So Saturday, um, make sure that you tune in to Tennessee Tailgate with Fox Sports. We're going app only, which means you can say whatever the hell you want to. We're starting at 8 a.m. Brian early. <laughs> From there, I promised my niece that I would talk about this. Um, they are selling koozies for her AAU team at G10. She needs to sell as many as possible so they can get as many tournaments as possible. That is starting in the morning. I will tweet out more details about buying those. Uh, so please support her and the rest of these young middle school girls on their journey um, to hopefully play college sports. CG. I'll buy some and use this. I'll buy some when I see the tweet. I'll buy some when I see the tweet and just hand them out to whoever you want. Yeah, I love that. Thank you, CG. That's so fantastic. I appreciate absolutely. it. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. I have two, I have two daughters. I understand how all that works. So when I see the tweet, I'll make sure to get the information and I'll buy, maybe I'll buy a dozen. I don't know. And then we'll just, you just hand them out to whomever you want. Thank you so much, CG. I appreciate that. Shout out to him. Done. And um, yeah, I think we all agreed. You heard it here. Vols are getting the dub. I just want to thank you, CG, not only for that, but just for always coming on being an absolute like charmer. I mean, you are literally the best, the best. We couldn't have a better guest on. So just thank you so much for joining us. Well, you're very kind. Uh, I, it was, uh, it's always a great pleasure to join you guys. I, it's, it's, I'm so glad that I, you know, three more, four more friends uh, in, uh, in Brando, Drew, you, Lo, and of course, Al. And uh, Lo, it was great meeting you and Crystal your, uh, when I was in Knoxville. Uh, I hope to, if, I, if I can get in, great. But uh, really, the pleasure is mine that uh, you invite me onto the program. I've always said, anytime you want me, I, I'm there. Absolutely.
I love it. And, you know, shout out to our fallen soldier, Alex. He will be back on when we have our big guests on <laughs> one point. Hey, he's he's got the worst luck imaginable. Every Man. single time we have a guest on, he, like, winds up one way or the other not being able to come on. I mean, brutal luck for the guy. I know. Brutal luck. Yeah. Luck for the balls this weekend. I wanted to give, like, you know, you gave a shout out. I wanted to give a shout out real quick before we. And I love the old school hat with Drew. I love the old. I wanted to give a. uh, You know, I wanted to give a quick shout out. You know, gave a shout out to them, but I want to give a shout out to uh, Phil Nealon Fund. He hooked me up with seats for this weekend to, you know, show up for the Bama game. But also, like, the Phil Nealon Fund has also been detrimental to just getting people, you know, who's never been to Nealon in seats. Uh, for next week's game against UT Martin, they're actually doing a donation thing for a raffle for tickets to that game. It's actually to, like, build uh, uh, children hunger. So that's a, you know, cool thing. He's done a really good job with that, trying to get that, you know, popping. So it would be a great cause. And you also have a chance to win UT Martin tickets. That would be huge. Um, my closing statement is the Dixieland Delight is about the state of Tennessee. And we're going to whip some roll tight ass. And I'm just, I'm just ready to get it to Saturday. So. I love it. You're <laughs> all amped up and ready. Um, we went a little over, but again, we always love getting together. So yeah, I say we beat Bama's ass six and zero. And if you see any of us out, feel free to come say hi. And thank you again, CG. And I think that ends it for us tonight. So until next time, good night and go Vols. Go Vols. Go Vols.